Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That One Time I Dated a Mormon. I hope that you are well, I hope that you've had a good week and a good weekend so far. Um, I am going to start off this episode by talking about um, the Met Gala in uh, America or New York rather that it uh, occurred in. Um, I'm sure you will have seen bits and pieces of it on the news. Um, and the ridiculous outfits that people wore and the cost of everything. And um, I mean, I've just got some pictures in front of me here. We've got, um, I, th- I think the um, theme was Gilded Glamour, if I remember correctly. Um, so you've got, you know, Billie Eilish in um, like a very elaborate corset and um, Hillary Clinton was there and all sorts of people in, you know, very highfalutin outfits. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker wore a hat it was bigger than her entire body, um, or fascinated rather. And um, Blake Lively just looked ridiculously good as Blake Lively always does. Um, and I know there's been lots of. I think the main talking point was Elon Musk for some reason being there, and didn't even seem himself to have a fucking clue why he was there. Um, and Kim Kardashian. Now, I've, to be honest, I've never really followed the Kardashians. I'm aware of who they are, but I've never watched the show. I've you know, never followed any of them on, on any type of social media. They just don't interest me at all, really. Um, but I know that she um, sparked a little bit of controversy because of um, the outfit that she was wearing and her comments around it. So she wore um, a dress that was previously worn by Marilyn Monroe, a really famous um, and iconic uh, um, outfit and piece. And um, a number of people have come out and said, well, you know, Marilyn Monroe is one of the most famous women of all time, one of the most influential women of all time, you know, a true icon who still remembered, you know, decades later, um, Kim Kardashian, not so much. Um, you know, I suppose that's kind of beside the point whether you think she should have worn the, the same dress or not. But what has irritated people and sparked conversation off is her comments around the regimen that she went through to get into the dress so that she went on a very strict diet. She restricted what she ate and and exercised um, and essentially, you know, kind of reading between the lines, I think, starved herself to get into the dress. And obviously a lot of people have have said that that was irresponsible for for her to say. Um, And then, um, you know, I think... The, even though the money raised does go to charity, which it does, um, it's you know a ludicrous amount that people have to pay to go. So I think it's something like $30,000 a ticket or $30,000 to buy a table or, or something ridiculous like that anyway. And um, I think that maybe with the current situations that's happening, you know, in the Ukraine, um, maybe some people felt that it was a little bit in bad taste to have these very pampered celebrities put, go into a very lovely you know, gala and show, um, you know, could the the focus and money have been going elsewhere? And again, there's arguments for, for both sides. Um, and it is a charity. It does go to a charity. Um, I think it goes to the arts. Um, but yeah, I mean, nice clothes to look at at least. But I get the point that maybe, you know, it's a little bit in, in, in bad taste potentially with, with other things that are take, uh, going on at the moment. Um and just um in just with something I read this morning um in the newspaper with the comment that Kim Kardashian made about having to lose weight um I read an article this morning about how um in lots of people felt that they put weight on during the first lockdown about two years ago now actually experts have found that people were unlikely 
um, to put weight on at all and that a lot of people actually stayed the same weight or lost weight um, and they said it's due to um, one people were going outside a lot more to walk and cycle and run and exercise than they did a lot of people got into exercise indoors also more than they did um, and that at the time there was a little bit of a concern that being ill with COVID was impacted by your weight. So in actual fact, they found um, that people, um, they um, looked at data from 200,000 GP practices in the UK um, in 2020, and they found that actually 83% of people remained the same size and didn't actually gain weight at all, which I thought was interesting. Now, um, the main topic of today's episode is I'm sure that you will have heard um, in the news at the moment the um, trial going on between Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. I briefly mentioned it last week as well. Um, And I am this week going to be looking at the different um, personality types and the mental health issues that have been raised in the trial. Um, Specifically looking at borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. Now, um, I'm not um, in this episode going to talk about my own opinion about what it is that's going on in the trial and, you know, who should be blamed and, um, you know, who's actually at fault and da-da-da-da. That's nothing to do with me at all. Um, Obviously, I will reference parts of the trial as part of the discussion, but I'm going to look more at the, um, the kind of psychology that's been referenced in the uh, trial and the debate because I think in a way... It's maybe an opportunity to discuss these issues that have been raised and that people may be hearing for the first time. You know, people may not have heard of histrionic personality disorder before. Um, and so maybe it can be used <coughs> excuse me, as a time to um, educate about these different types of um, mental health issues and try to understand them and remove some of the um, misinformation or stigma around them. Um, I mean, there's a lot of uh, quite toxic and quite negative talk going on about both um, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp at the moment, for and against both of them. But um, I'll be looking more at the uh, the kind of therapy comments that have come out from people who've taken the stand rather than just slagging Amber Heard off or, you know, bitching about Johnny Depp, which is not anything to do with me at all, with what's going on between them. Um, but... I do think that some of the reporting in the news for both of them is interesting in terms of the bias that's been put forward and the slant in which it's taken, whether that's pro um, her or pro him or anti either one of them. Um, And some of the headlines that are particularly biased or sexist towards um, either one of them. Before I get to that, I'm not sure if you've actually read the article that Amber Heard wrote and it was published in the Washington Post about three years ago now. Um, And obviously Johnny Depp um, uh, kind of is suing her for that, for the fact that she's claimed in the article that she uh, was victim of of domestic abuse and sexual violence and so on. Um, Even though he's not named in the piece, you know, there's really no one else that she could be talking about. So you can read the article online. You just have to search for Amber Heard Washington Post. 
So I'm just going to read you a few little expert, um, experts, um, excerpts from it. So the headline is, um, Amber Heard, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. This That has to change. And it was published in December of 2018. Um, and it says, quote, I was exposed to abuse at a very young age. I knew certain things early on without ever having to be told. I knew that men have the power physically, socially and financially, and that a lot of institutions support that arrangement. I knew this long before I had the words to articulate it, and I bet you learnt it young too. Like many women, I have been harassed and sexually assaulted by the time I was of college age, but I kept quiet. I did not expect filing complaints to bring justice and I didn't see myself as a victim. Then two years ago, I became a public figure representing domestic abuse and I felt the full force of our culture's wrath for women who speak out. So there really she's, you know, almost a, a microcosm of, of what's many, many women go through of being aware from a young age or being almost... Um, uh, indoctrinated into believing from a young age that women are lower than men in a patriarchy and that they've suffered like she suffered like you know <laughs> countless women um do some form of sexual abuse or assault by the time that they are you know in their in their 20s or late teens um she continues to write, friends and advisors told me I would never work again as an actress, that I would be blacklisted. A movie I was attached to across my role. I had just shot a two-year campaign as the face of a global fashion brand and the company dropped me. And questions arose whether I would be able to keep my role in the movies Justice League and Ackerman. Um... And she goes on to say, I'll just read a few more bits. Imagine a powerful man as a ship like the Titanic. That ship is a huge enterprise. When it strikes an iceberg, there are a lot of people on board desperate to patch up holes. Not because they believe in or even care about the ship, because their own fate depends on the enterprise. Um, and she just mentions one more um, comment about... The Me Too movement kind of, I think, inspired her to come out and talk about this. Um, and she mentions that there, um, this is four years ago now in 2018, um, being in a, quote, transformative political moment. Um, and I think the idea of the Titanic, the analogy is interesting because she's essentially saying that um, when people come out and make allegations, quite often the teams around those people will try to make things go away to protect themselves rather than others. Um, and But you can't save a sinking ship, essentially, I think is what she's saying. Now, obviously, the things that she writes about in the article are really interesting and, you know, as far as they're alleged, um, are quite um, um, unpleasant to read. She talks about getting death threats and being pursued by paparazzi alongside the abuse that she said that, that, that she suffered. Um, but Johnny Depp isn't actually named in it, but obviously it's got to be him because... She's the man she was married to when the you know when the article came out, um, but since the uh, trial has started, the um, media response and representation, um, or presentation rather of, of the two has been um, informative, shall we say? So, um, People Magazine and Daily News have kind of been more on Amber Heard's side by talking about a toxic marriage um, that has been. Um, 
ruined by, and their headline was Johnny Rotten. Um, and then the BBC released an article this week, and this one really stood out to me, was that it the headline was Amber Heard Speaks Out Against Violence Committed by Star. And that one really irked me because um, she's named in the piece, but the star isn't named. So who's doing the violence to her? Well, what, like a ghost? Like like a raccoon? What? So it doesn't name the star. Now, the star's obviously Johnny Depp, but why not name him? You know, he's the one she is alleging has done the violence against her, but he's not named. He's actually called a star. And think of the connotation of that. So instantly, just from the headline as a reader, you're kind of swayed towards him. He's the star. She's the negative one who's named, who's claiming this hero of Hollywood um, that everyone has loved for so long has done something that people don't want to believe is true. And again, I'm not here to kind of say I think she's wrong or he's wrong, but the reporting of it in the news, in that particular headline, I did feel was quite gendered against her, particularly the fact that he's not even named. And I've spoken to you about this before, about um, male violence against women is a phrase that's just not used enough, and often it's violence against women, so the perpetrators just let off the hook. And in that particular headline, that seemed like what was happening. Um, and then there have been other outlets have said that they've got, quote, footage of her several personalities, and I'll come back into the personality diagnosis later. Um, but then again, you know, she's um, been negatively um, presented in the press just um, as much as he has at some points as well. You know, like I said before, there were headlines around Johnny Rotten. Um, he lost his case um, about being called a wife beater in the, I think it was the son. Um, so he lost his case. So there obviously is evidence somewhere um, that seems to be important enough to claim that he is this, you know, he, there is domestic violence there. But um, um, it came out in a Mary Claire article this week on the 3rd of May that she's fired, uh, Amber Heard, sorry, has fired her own PR team because of the amount of bad press that she's getting, that um, she doesn't feel that the trial is going her way and that one witness has claimed in the article, in the Mary Claire article, that he's, quote, tired of it all um, and just wants it to go away. And then um, in the Mary Claire article, there's a comment from um, a woman called Stephanie Cutter, or Cutler, Cutler maybe, um, who was Barack Obama's campaign manager. And she says that one of the reasons that they're both coming out negatively in the press um, is because of, quote, no one can rewrite history. So essentially, um, neither one of them, um, it's so in the media and it's so in the news that um, they can't really go back now and take their careers back after this. I think they're both kind of finished in terms of their um, careers, in in the short term anyway. I don't think either of them are going to get back into the level of, of status they had, and particularly him, um, get back to the level of popularity and status he had in his career. Now, one part of the trial that I have found interesting is the uh, discussion around the diagnoses that Amber Heard has had from psychologists and psychiatrists. And they reference two personality types, borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. Now, um, just bearing in mind what I was mentioning a second ago about 
the way that um, both of them have been represented in the news. The Express um, has published an article and the headline is Amber Heard put on the performance of her life in court claim Johnny Depp's team. Um, and the article says, while on the stand, she claimed that the Pirates of the Caribbean actor was violent and sexually abusive towards her, but in turn, his team said that she was giving the performance of her life. Um, while Miss Heard's stories have continued to grow and convenient and to grow, sorry, new and convenient details, Mr. Depp's recollections have remained exactly the same throughout the six painful years since her first allegations were made. His truth, the truth, is the same no matter the environment in which it has been presented. Um, and the article goes on to say that the cross examination of Miss Heard will show that a lot of the comments that she's made are false and that. Um, it is a performance and that she's lying, essentially. Now, the psychologist that has been um, in the trial, and again, this has been in the news, references two personality types and two mental illness disorders or, or kind of mental disorders that Amber Heard has been diagnosed with. And I find that the kind of factual comments in the news and then the more salacious comments in the news like the fact that she's performing um kind of counteract each other or maybe um show the again the gendered bias that there is in the news particularly with the idea of the word histrionic um the histrionic personality disorder alongside the idea that Amber Heard is performing because both of those things, I think, are gendered towards women. Women are hysterical. Women perform. Women become emotional. Whereas men generally, and then this is stereotypically, this is, you know, thinking from a patriarchal point of view, men are more measured um, and more calm. Um, and uh, the psychologist uh, who was interviewed on the 27th of April, um, this is just a very brief bit of her being... Um, interviewed. So this is Dr. Shannon Curry, who was a clinical and forensic psychologist um, that diagnosed Amber Heard um, before the trial began. Time when you met directly with Ms. Heard. Yes, I did. So in conducting my evaluation, I met with Ms. Heard on two separate dates, December 10th and December 17th, 2021. Uh, approximately how much time have you spent with Ms. Heard? So the evaluation, uh, we spent 12 hours directly with one another. Um, however, there were, more, there were more hours involved in the evaluation with some breaks. So we spent seven hours together on the first day. As, there was, as a result of the work that you performed, did you form any opinions with respect to Ms. Hurd? I did. What were those opinions? I, uh, the results of Ms. Hurd's evaluation supported two diagnoses borderline personality disorder, and histrionic personality disorder. Are you aware that Mr. Depp is on an audio recording years earlier taunting Amber Heard that she has a borderline personality disorder? Um, and then the, the questioning continues. <clears throat> um, now, if I just look at those two personality types in a little bit more detail because you might not have heard of them before and as I said I was going to use this situation in the news to discuss these personality types rather than maybe um, critique the, the marriage of the two of them like I said I have no place to do that so um, borderline personality disorder now 
kind of mental illnesses have been you know referenced in film and television for a while um they're of, they're often very you know hyperbolized in film you think about a girl interrupted or um silver linings playbook um they're quite often you know shown to be very dramatic and very over the top and often negative portrayals of women um and but there are you know famous people who have um, had these um, Ill, 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 um, Ill, I can't speak, had these illnesses or been diagnosed with them. So Amy Winehouse, Marilyn Monroe, Princess Diana, Amber Heard potentially now, and Pete Davidson as well, the comedian. So borderline personality disorder. So it's thought that it affects um, about 1.7% um, of people, um, equal men and women. And it becomes more apparent um, in the decade of the 30s. So between being 30 and 39 is when the um, symptoms really start to show. And um, quite a stark fact is that 75% of people who are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder will attempt suicide at some point in their life. Now, some common symptoms uh, are things such as um, being un unable to form stable relationships, whether that's um, romantic with friends, with family, um, issues with self-image and quite often changing your self-image, um, whether that be kind of physically in terms of weight, um, your clothing, your makeup, your hair um, and just not being happy with how you look quite consistently and wanting to change things a lot, being quite impulsive and being prone to mood swings, um, which maybe has some kind of co-traits with bipolar disorder, potentially from very high highs to very low lows and uh, immense feelings of solitude. So feeling lonely, feeling solitary, feeling perhaps that you're not understood by people as well. And then um, in terms of histrionic personality disorder, this is seen slightly differently. So this is um, seen as being something that is a person who is attention seeking, who needs approval um, and has even been uh, kind of quoted as being a seductive behaviour. And I think that that in itself is quite a weighted word and quite a weighted term, the idea of seduction. Um, it's got quite sexual connotations to it, hasn't it? And in terms of this being something that's been linked to Amber Heard, if we think about the word histrionic, it's obviously very similar to hysteria. Um, and again, women are often seen as being hysterical and emotional and being over the top. I mentioned last week that the root of the word hysteria comes from um, the Greek word for uterus. Um, and so essentially women have always been viewed as these overly emotional people. Um, and then the seductive, again, kind of paints these people um, who, who are diagnosed in this way of being liars, of being manipulative. Um, and so the, the language around mental health is always quite weighted and quite negative and biased, I think, against the person who has the disorder or illness. And then um, just to follow on from that, mentalhealthhome.org um, say, uh, quote, that histrionic uh, behaviour, um, people will exaggerate behaviours, they will be manipulative, they will be shallow in terms of their personality. And histrionic personality disorder is believed affects around 3% of the population, women more than men. 
Um, and that aging actually makes the condition worse and that people become um, more unstable essentially as they get older with this particular diagnosis. Now in the Independent this week there was an article looking at um, borderline personality disorder because it's been raised so publicly in the case between Amber Heard and Johnny Depp and it's an article written by Tom Chivers and he interviews no, um, numerous people, numerous different doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists about the issue. Um, so um, at one point the article refers to a professor of psychology, Christian Schmall, who says that borderline personality disorder is where someone is hyperactive or links to hyperactivity and strong emotional fluctuations and essentially someone will quote split and they will swing back and forth from joy to despair and um, that the smallest setback he says can push you all the way to intolerable misery he says um, and that the smallest thing can really kind of make you fly off the handle in a way um, and even according to the, the the NHS website borderline personality disorder is um, defined as being either a relationship is perfect with that person or the relationship is doomed with that person so there's never like a central sweet spot is always one or the other one extreme or the other um, and one of the kind of fundamental parts of borderline personality disorder that comes through in this article is the idea that when we become adults most people start to have a fairly um, settled confident feel for who they are as a person um, and know kind of you know what makes them tick but for someone with personality borderline personality disorder that isn't this the case for them they don't feel settled they don't feel calm they don't feel that they know who they are as a person and there's a lot of paranoia and an intense fear of being alone um, and that the attention seeking is really more because of a lack of attention they feel that they have and they feel that they've received and that it's often quite negative attention seeking because they almost feel um, like a, a, a paranoia and worry and fear of being neglected. Um, and so there's really quite... <coughs> uh, almost like a, uh, like a childlike element to it, that they just want attention, they want to please, but they go about it in, in the wrong way. Um, in the same article, Kate Steen, or Stein, um, so a psychiatrist at Oxford University, says the borderline personality disorder results in, quote, lots of self-harm and disordered eating uh, with suicidal tendencies. And that it will affect uh, around 70% of people who are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder will have had um, adverse childhood. So uh, maltreatment and neglect and um, being the two words that stand out here. So again, it's it's almost an idea that trauma experienced as a child um, follows them into adulthood and that it's that constant need for security, but it just manifests itself in quite an um, over-the-top, maybe quite attention-seeking, go back to that word, histrionic manner, um, which might seem quite erratic to, to people. 
But one thing that did stand out in the article as well that's argued is then where blame can lie. So can someone with this disorder be blamed for how they act? So can Amber Heard be blamed for domestic violence towards Johnny Depp as he's claiming towards her if she has these two diagnoses? Um, and essentially the article says that there are multiple people with um, borderline personality disorder who never commit any type of problematic behaviour towards another person. Um, so it's a very fine line between saying, well, this person has this disorder, so we need to bear that in mind and maybe go softer on them, but then maybe using that as an excuse to let them off the hook. Um, you know, and I think, again, that's quite a, a nuanced debate. There's no real black and white there. Um, yes, people will need to have sympathy towards someone who has and any type of illness or mental illness or a physical illness, but you can't really then still let them off the hook if they're doing things that are um, inappropriate, illegal, abusive, whatever it may be. But the article concludes stating, and this is something I've referenced as to why I'm doing the episode, um, quote, but either way, some good may come out of the trial if at least a greater understanding of this serious, common and widely misunderstood condition. And I think that's the point. That rather than getting waylaid with arguing for and against either one of them, that this is an opportunity to really look at the illnesses and discuss them in detail. Um, on that, um, a, writer, a writer, a reporter for NBC says that the trial has turned into a circus of misogyny and delusion and this toxic fandom gone amok as people cheer on a man who has already lost a liable trial and um, then also goes on to say it's um, women are being viewed as vengeful gold diggers. So, again, I think it's important that as we watch this story unfold, that we don't get waylaid in some of the more salacious media that finds it fun and entertaining. And we maybe look at it more as a learning opportunity for how relationships work and how mental illness can impact relations between people as well. Now, alongside the discussion of what the personality types are, uh, in a way saying that I have the definitive definition of either, there's multiple things you can go and look at and read um, around it. Um, the uh, reading and research into treatment of these disorders is also, I think, important to discuss. So there is a facility called the Blue Sky Recovery Centre, and they refer to something called um, DBT, so dialectal behaviour therapy, which looks at managing volatile emotions, um, encouraging people to learn how to self-soothe and to calm, and that it can really take several months in order to help people gain these, these skills. Um, it can be done through psychotherapy, through medication, um, and some of the medication has links with anxiety meds such as fluoxetine and sertraline. And, and I've mentioned before that I've been um, given fluoxetine, sertraline in the past um, for my um, um, issues with uh, depression, anxiety and eating disorders and so on. So quite often, you know, medications can be used in different doses to um, tackle numerous different um, mental illnesses or, or disorders. Um, there is, uh, again, lots of things that you can read and, and watch online. There is a YouTube channel called How to Medicate, um, where um, a doctor... 
um, looks at different um, disorders, all types of different things, and defines them and then talks through some uh, treatments and medications. So I'm just going to play you a short clip of him talking about the different types of ways that someone with um, borderline personality disorder may be helped and treated. Therefore, treatment goals should be twofold. First, it should focus on learning patients to control their borderline through crisis management and stabilization. Secondly, it should also be aimed at decreasing several of the symptoms and complaints of borderline. And there are two types of treatment forms which can play a role in the treatment of borderline. Psychological treatment and the treatment through drugs. The most used psychological treatments are cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectic behavioral therapy and verse training. Will be no surprise that the behavioural therapies focus on the behaviour of a patient, and which difficult events out of daily life will be practised. So, a patient. So, the idea that um, you know people are given tools and techniques to calmly react to difficult situations, or that they deem as being difficult, um, rather than maybe you know kind of go from naught to 100 incredibly quickly um, and it might be that the you know the medication has to go hand in hand with that to get someone to more of a stable place um, and I know obviously there's lots of debate and discussion um, around the place of, of, um, red, of drugs being readily available um, but that's obviously a, 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 you know, a, personal, a personal point of view. Um, the Blue Sky Recovery Centre does, I think, possibly a little bit um, irresponsibly, have a test you can do yourself online to see if you are borderline personality. Um, I wouldn't suggest you do it because I don't think it's going to be particularly reliable, but there we go. Um, there is a, a book, though, that I would suggest that you read if you're interested in this issue or you maybe um, feel that you know someone who has borderline personality disorder or an, or an addictive disorder, um, or, um, you know, you may, you know, almost feel that it, this speaks to you. So it's a book called The Angry Heart, Overcoming Borderline and Addictive Disorders, and it's by Dr. Joseph Santoro. Um, and I'm just going to read you a few little sections from it. Um, so the introduction says, Facing a painful past is a task we want to avoid forever. The problem is that we cannot run from what we have been made to feel. The pain lives in our subconscious mind from microsecond to microsecond. As we interact with the world around us, our subconscious conditions our day-to-day -day decisions. It uses the pain and hurt we carry inside to influence our actions and often causes us to choose behaviour that is self-destructive and harming to our well-being. Furthermore, and all too often, overwhelming emotions penetrate our conscious mind, changing our moods in a flash and putting us in conflict with those that we know and love. So it's the idea that, um, you know, we all have these moments where um, something happens and that we kind of have a flare-up of a feeling, but it's about if you are someone who then struggles to react um, positively or calmly, or you go, like I said, from naught to 100 very quickly, that you're given techniques to um, not get as angry, stressed, demonstrative as, you know, uh, to, to kind of control those behaviours where possible. And the introduction continues to mention something that I thought was quite striking. It says that your survival instincts will tell you to avoid, distract, escape, deny, ignore, repress and explode. Um, and 
I thought that was quite interesting. The idea that um, if faced in a difficult situation, you will try to, um, you know, maybe sometimes we think ignorance is bliss, but then it just becomes more of an issue eventually if we don't um, face it head on. But also the idea that we will maybe um, push people away because we're scared of being hurt. Um, which only then kind of adds to the loneliness that we feel because you um, don't want people around because you think they're going to hurt you. So you push them away before they can hurt you. But then that just means you're alone and lonely, um, which is a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? And that's something that really spoke to me. Um, I know myself that I am quite self-destructive in that way, in that I will um, not form relationships with people or I will purposely um, decline to do things because I f worry that I will not fit in, that I will not be liked, that I will do something wrong um, or that the people will harm me in some way, even if I don't necessarily have evidence for it, but that's immediately where my, my mind goes. So why self-destruct but kind of self-preserve at the same time, but then my feelings after that are of loneliness, isolation, no one cares about me, but then I've pushed them away. So um, it's it's a very complicated web um, inside our minds. Um, and I think that the two personality types that have been raised in this episode and through the news this week of borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder are two that need to be discussed and need to be spoken about. And that hopefully, you know, you might want to go in and look at in a little bit more detail there's loads of things that you can go and do you can read um articles online about it you know look at the blue recovery center website for information about therapy and um, the book the angry heart by joseph santoro i'd have a look at and then in more of a um maybe lightweight way of, of looking at it and exploring it you know comedy and writing and and comedy stand-up you know mental health is is often used as um, a way into humour and laughing through problems. And what I mean by this is, you know, you've got people like Ruby Wax, who has written a book called Frazzled. She did a tour about it, about her own mental health. And that's a really accessible way at looking at mental illness and depression and anxiety. Um, Taylor Tomlinson is a brilliant stand-up. She's got two specials on Netflix. And the last one that's just come out, for example, really looks at her bipolar diagnosis um, and makes it very accessible in terms of trying to understand what these illnesses are and the support that people need. So, you know, if you don't want to maybe get weighed down with the quite um, negative portrayal potentially that's coming through in, in the law case between Heard and Depp, go and look at some maybe um, some stand-up about it because as, maybe as flippant as that seems, it's so important to look at mental illness through a, a compassionate lens and quite often stand-up is the way to do it. So Ruby Wax and Taylor Tomlinson I would definitely have a look at. Um, so I always finish by talking about one thing I've done this week. Um, this week it's dead boring. So I always seem to say that it's dead boring. Um, I um, have, well, I say boring, but it's actually revolutionised my life. I've got a like, like a muscle massage gun thing. It's amazing. So after like I've been for a run or um, been cycling or done some yoga or whatever, um, 
I just put this machine massage gun thing on. It's got loads of different settings. And I just basically like massage the shit out of my thigh or the back of my leg or my back or wherever. And it's amazing. Like I'm left with this little buzzing feeling afterwards in my muscles and it relaxes everything and means that I don't feel like it's tight in my thigh. This is way too much detail, I understand. But it's so exciting and I love the little um, that noise it does as well. So if you do exercise and you do feel that you have to stretch loads before and after, particularly when you're an old fucker like I am now, one of these massage guns, um, you can get them on Amazon, really, really um, for uh, like accessible um, price. Honestly, it's changed my life. I absolutely love it. I look forward to doing it every morning, every night now. Um, so uh, as always, if you do have any questions or thoughts, email in. Um, if there is any reading that you would suggest that um, I reference maybe in a future episode about these disorders, borderline personality disorder, histrionic, then contact me that one time podcast at yahoo.com or on Instagram. And um, I hope you have a good week and I will speak to you soon. Thank you as always for listening.